we turn to the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew's gospel account. And we'll pick up the reading of verse 23 of chapter 8. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. May we be most attentive to it. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Thus far, the reading of God's word to us this morning may add his blessing to the reading and to the proclamation of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we return to a series of messages on the gospel account of the evangelist Matthew. And we had been privileged to witness through this portion of God's word the person and work of the Messiah, the one who is also called the Son of Man. And we have been given, in a sense, a wonderful manual on discipleship. This is no ordinary how-to book, nor is it a 12-step program to becoming a better Christian. Nothing like that, but something so much greater. Jesus has taught and healed in the early part of his earthly ministry, and in doing so, we have learned the woes of hypocrisy. We have been given a, a fresh look at at the law, the Sermon on the Mount, and a better understanding of practice such as giving to the needy and praying and fasting. We have been told not to be anxious, but to ask, seek, and knock. We have been instructed to lay up treasures in heaven and to build our house on the rock. We have seen what real faith is in the humility of the centurion. And prior to moving off this series for our seasonal messages from the Psalms, we observed what the cost is in truly following Jesus. Now we come upon a scene of a storm that will provide yet another marvelous teaching moment. In verse 23, Jesus gets into the boat and the disciples follow him. And this would be the 12 apostles and not the more general disciples that were congregating around the Messiah during his teaching. If you look at Mark's gospel account, you will see that the storm event is recorded after the 12 have been appointed. But here in Matthew, in his account, the 12 are not named until later in chapter 10. And this is a good reminder for us that the events in the gospel accounts are not always recorded sequentially, as if we have a play-by-play, day-after-day record of, of Jesus' ministry. But as Matthew has presented the events, we note that earlier Jesus explains the cost of discipleship in verses 18 through 22. 
Which leads us now to the testing of discipleship of our text this morning. Beloved, what we have here is a real test. Jesus gave the lesson on the cost of following him. And these particular 12 have not left to bury their father as one would-be follower said he had to do. You might recall that. Nor have these 12 seemed to have their hands raised high as an eager student knows the answer would do and exclaim, I'll follow you wherever you go. Pick me, pick me. I'll, I'll go with you, Jesus. Those were the words of the scribe in verse 19. I will follow you wherever you go. So it looks right now that these 12 seem to understand discipleship and all that's required of them. Or maybe not so much. So let's observe now a real, real faith and life exam. Friends, the very first exam a person takes when he desires to to enter into the ministry and goes what we call under the care of classes or under the care of, of presbytery is to appear before the delegates and answer questions about his faith and his life, or what we call his intent and orthodoxy. That's what we call it in the RSUS, an intent and orthodoxy exam. If he sustains that exam and placed under care, he can then work toward his licensure and toward his ordination. The men here with Jesus in the boat would be examined to see if they were fit to be his appointed followers. Now, some context about this very different faith and life exam is in order. These seasoned men traveling with Jesus do that in calm waters, a journey across the sea would take up to two hours. They didn't have motors back in those days, right? They just had oars and a, a sail. But it would take about you know, two, two hours. And the Sea of Galilee is not quite like our man-made Lake Red Rock. It is known for sudden and severe squalls. The surface of the sea is about 700 feet below sea level and on the sides bordered by steep hills, including the Golan Heights. So it's, it's quite picturesque, actually, when the sea is calm. But when the winds would, would sweep down through the ravines... Like that in the ocean, the waves would appear. And that's what happened here, where we find Jesus asleep. Jesus asleep. And this is not some orchestrated feigning sleep as if Jesus were awaiting for the Heavenly Father to create the drama, the chaos. He did not have one eye closed and another on the disciples spying on them to see how they would react. The Son of Man was truly dead tired from his preaching schedule. Now keep in mind, beloved, that Jesus' time walking on the earth was quite short. So he seized every moment to advance the good news. So yes, he was tired and he was asleep. Now, in contrast to this, were these fretting fishermen. 
And they knew a good storm from a simple rain cell. This was no simple rain cell at all. They were afraid. And one might say for a good reason. They knew how ugly the sea could get. But where their good reason fails is in their lack of trust in the one who saves. Here, the miracle worker, or as Mark in his gospel account uh, testifies, uh, is is Jesus (laughs) in his turn sleeping on a cushion. You would think with the boat having tossed to and fro, Jesus would have abruptly awakened. But no, the Messiah is asleep. Verse 24, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, and so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. It was the disciples who awoke Jesus, saying, Save us, Lord! We are perishing! Now, it would appear that the men have placed their face in the right person, right? Wake him up! They have seen him already cure the sick and heal the lame. They know that that this man can bring life to the ailing and can certainly save them. So why verse 26? And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? They went to Jesus, didn't they? Didn't the disciples go to him for help? Well, here's the essence of the test. They should never have been afraid. They should never have been afraid. If they truly understood who this Messiah was, what his earthly mission would result, and what he could do, they should have trusted him implicitly in what they already knew of him. If they had made the connections from the Old Testament, prophecy, they would have known who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. The point is that Jesus was present with them. And, beloved, that's the point which remains today. Jesus is present with you. Do we really believe in the words of Psalm 56, verse 3? When I'm afraid, I put trust in you. Brothers and sisters, how how are you faring in your personal sea of affliction? We'll come back to that question in just a bit, but let's just go back to our text for a moment. Many church fathers rightly see the men in the boat as the people of the church and Jesus at the helm. The turbulent seas and the affliction that, that, that the individual saints and the church as a whole encounter. While Jesus was asleep, he was not absent from his disciples. He's never absent. While Jesus is in heaven, he's not absent in the affairs of the church or the saint today. The table, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we are about to partake of, is a manifestation of that, given to us in part to remind us, I am always here for you. So was the storm just a fortuitous event from which Jesus would capitalize and teach his disciples? No. Not at all. As in all things, this was completely ordained by God. This 
is providential. While Jesus was truly asleep, he awoke to the storm and would put to use what some call Matthew's first recording of a nature miracle. The lesson in all this was very intentional. So did Jesus know as one of the Godhead that was going on? Did, Did he have an advanced knowledge to all of this? Because he's God, right? Did he just wake up on on cue? So the mystery of the God-man remains a mystery. To what degree that Jesus voluntarily emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, as Philippians 2 would say, we don't know. We don't know that. But ultimately, the goal of the lesson plan here, friends, would be to suspend, suspend the storm, a, a, a supernatural feat that only God could do, was to draw attention to the the disciples' lack of faith in him. That's what this is about. Your lack of faith in me, Jesus would say. They had no cause to fear, just as we today have no cause to fear. Now, we spent some time last week talking about fear, right, from Psalm 36. Well, that's the proper fear we ought to have in God. That's that's the adoration, that's the awe, that's the worship. This fear is about being afraid. And dear friends, we can take enormous comfort from God's word here. When he says he is there, guess what? (laughs) He is there. When he says he will deliver, he will deliver. And in fact, he delivered them. Was that not what the prophet said, who told us in Isaiah 43, 2? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. (laughs) These are words the disciples should have known. Many in the church, friends, suffer from anxiety, fretting, panic attacks, PTSD. And the lesson here is not to get a pat on the back from the Bible and a simple, cheer up, God loves you, it's going to be okay. Show some faith. No. We all struggle in the boat, even when we know that Jesus is with us. We all struggle. It's as real to us as it was for the disciples. We all struggle with fear, with the unknown. We get terribly nervous. We fret. We all struggle with overcoming something. We do. A strong pilgrim, a convicted pilgrim, a courageous pilgrim is still at times a scared pilgrim. Well, how can this be when he knows that he has Jesus alongside of him? Because of doubt. Because of doubt. Because of sin. The disciples could physically see Jesus, but they were frantic. The circumstances became too overwhelming for them, and they lost perspective. 
Their faith sank. Their faith sank. Because here Jesus was sleepy, sleeping during a horrific crisis. In our crises, friends, we don't physically see Jesus. We don't physically see him in the boat. But we can see him and know him from his word. You see, this stormy sea of Galilee pales to the greatest storm of sin and separation. You see, there's another storm going on here that the disciples are, are not quite seeing yet. It's a, it's a big of a greater storm. These men would not drown in the sea that day, but the greater salvation would be that they would not drown in their sins. Nor will we. Just look at the last sentence of Matthew's gospel account in chapter 28. And behold, I am with you always, always, to the end of the age. Let's move on now to point two. Trusting in the presence of Jesus. Never will I leave you or forsake you. Which is why we have the helper, the spirit of Christ. So wherever you walk, or whatever the circumstance may be that you're in, the Spirit of Christ is there. So our Lord's rebuke is very clear here. His presence should have calmed their fears. But their behavior demonstrated that Jesus was not really with them, or that he was there, but, but doing nothing to help. So what kind of disciples are these? Men. Do they trust Jesus? Years ago, I had the privilege of rooming with one of my mentors in a, during a synodical meeting time. And we were in a motel, and he had just preached just an incredible, incredible sermon on trusting Jesus and how it's a sin not to trust him. When you fret, when you cower, you're sinning. And I was just, I heard those words, I was mesmerized by, by his delivery. Well, that, that night after we had our deliberations, we, we went back to the motel and he called his wife and she did not answer. An hour later, he called his wife and she did not answer, did not pick up. An hour later, he called his wife. And during that time, I, I, was, I was noticing his, his countenance, his demeanor was changing. He was starting to fret starting to cower, starting to be very, very afraid. Weeping, weeping. He called a neighbor to check in on his wife. No answer. He called church people. You've got to come to the house. got to come to the house now and see if my wife's okay. Well, an hour or two later, he got a call from his wife. She fell asleep in the recliner, just tired. Oh, are you trying to call me? I see some some missed messages here. So I was watching this man completely lose it. It was a reminder that we, as preachers or churchmen or all of us, we know the truth. We know the standard. We know the message. But sometimes we just cower. We have feet of clay and we trip. 
And that mentor gave me a, a bold lesson. that Even as we preach these words, we need to be mindful that we too need the courage and strength of our Lord because we too will cower and shrink. Are we not to trust the Lord? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you trust that, beloved? You who call yourself a Christian? The disciples behaved abominably because they were not acting like his followers, and we act abominably too. Suddenly when the storms of life come, they, they act. They act as if being with Jesus Christ makes little difference unless at the last minute you make some desperate play. Now, sometimes Christians look for that Hail Mary play. I don't mean in the Catholic sense Hail Mary. But like the last play in a football game, when you throw in desperation to your wide receivers, hoping someone on your team will, will catch the ball in the end zone and win the game. In a desperate prayer petition, the Hail Mary petition would go like this. I'll throw out the plea. <laughs> we go to Jesus, you know, after we couldn't figure it out ourselves, right? So then we go to Jesus. We throw out this play. Maybe he or the Father or the Holy Spirit or some celestial being will catch the ball and save the day. Again, is that not what the disciples did? Save us, O Lord. We're perishing. Our Lord's very own disciples blew off their Savior and they would do it all over again when they, would, when they scattered, when Jesus was arrested. Where were their followers then? All gone. And yet when Christ ascended and promised that the, the Comforter, his Spirit, would, would come into them and they would connect all the messianic dots of his earthly ministry, they became very bold. And they would end up, as church tradition would have it, being martyred, all save one. Because they could not help but confess Christ. The aim of a lesson is to trust Christ, to know him, and to love him, to have faith in his sovereign power. So we might say the disciples got an F that day, when, but they did marvel. They did marvel in verse 27. When they asked, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? He is the conqueror, friends, of, of winds and waves. And if he could do that, if he could give himself to you as a sacrifice, which we're about to celebrate, so that you would not drown in sin and in despair, he can do anything, including, including calming your soul. He can do that too. He rules over all things, including your circumstances, no matter how bleak they may be. And we've been in bleak circumstances. All of us have in this room. Remember, I am with you always, he said, just before he left the world. It matters not what the circumstances we face. After all, he is a ruler of our afflictions as well. And then finally, how do we get to that place of confidence in him? When you are deliberately conscious that Christ is with you, you will walk in that blessed confidence. When you're deliberately conscious of it. 
And that's exactly why David always had his nose in the law, which he meditated day and night, because he did not trust in his own judgment. And the moment he did, he found himself in tremendous sin. We know that story. Even in the face of bleak circumstances, even when, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know Christ would, would quote David, but David said this, Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? But he concludes in that psalm, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. My salvation and my God. The point is that the more distant we are from his word, the less confident we are in in our faith. People say, well, you know what? I don't need church I don't need to, to worship. I can, work, I, I, can, I can love Jesus on my own. I don't need the body. And we don't hear the faithful word being proclaimed. Well, how, how are you growing in, in your confidence? If you're not reading his word, how are you growing in your confidence? You might even argue, well, I, I do read my Bible, but, but it's like Jesus is sleeping or, or has turned his face from me, has he? If you are in the boat with Jesus, then guess what? You are in the boat with Jesus. That's it. If you are in the church of Christ, you are in the church of Christ. If you are a a member of the body of Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ. Plus, the Jesus you know has been more revealed because you have the complete word. You know of all his miracles, of his death, his resurrection, his ascension. You have his complete word. What happened that day in the boat is not just an admonishment, but for us a reminder. You you might find yourself tomorrow, beloved, in in a stormy situation. Or perhaps this past week you found yourself tossed to and fro in that proverbial sea, tumbling from one side of the boat to the next, wondering if the boat would capsize or that you would be thrown overboard or that you would drown. As has been said many times here from this pulpit, The devil wants you to think that you're all by yourself. That you're in that boat by yourself. Or that if if Jesus may be there, he's not paying much attention to you. The truth is that our Lord Jesus Christ is our mediator. He intercedes on our behalf. And we shall see this in, in future messages, how our Lord is our prophet, how he is our priest, and how he is our king. He and the Father and the Holy Spirit are aware of your every circumstance, of your every incident, of your every trial, of your every affliction. Isn't that amazing? He knows of everything about you. Why? For he has ordained them all. Turn to him and trust him. On that stormy night, the disciples did indeed turn to him but they should have trusted him from the beginning. May we lean on him knowing that it is by his might we are a delivered people. Let's pray.